0: Hey, everyone. Today, I've got another special treat on the show for you. It's one more in the series of our fireside chats about midlife women at work. This week, we were talking all about rethinking the meaning of well-being. And I was joined by two fantastic guests, Melanie Campbell and Donna Carbell, both senior women in leadership. I learned so much from these two. And if you are a woman in midlife who feels like you're slowing down in your career or you're struggling with your own well being, you're really not going to want to miss this one. So enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to this third in our Fireside Chat series um, on Midlife Women at Work. Today, we're going to be talking about rethinking the meaning of well being. And I just want to start out by letting everyone know that we're recording today from Vancouver, BC, and that's in Canada. Uh, I know people are joining from around the world. And Vancouver is located on the traditional and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Salish people. So I'm so excited to be joined today by two fantastic panelists. I'm joined by Melanie Campbell, who is the Western Canada Regional Manager for Women in Enterprise at TD Bank. And Melanie brings over 20 years of experience leading various sales teams. She has a really extensive leadership background, working for two insurance companies as well as a top mutual fund company and a number one payment provider in Canada. Melanie also sits on two diversity and inclusion committees at TD. And I'm also joined by Donna Carbell. Donna is a senior vice president with Equitable Life of Canada. So she's the senior vice president for individual insurance business at Equitable. And she also brings more than 25 years of experience in the financial services industry. And prior to joining Equitable last year, Donna spent over 20 years with Manulife, and she was the head of the group benefits program in Canada as well as the international group program. And Donna is passionate about all aspects of health. That's financial, physical, mental health. Um, So we're really excited to have both of these fantastic panelists. I'm Kate Milne. I am a healthy aging specialist. I am a community-based health promotion researcher helping government and organizations plan for an aging population. But I also spent about a decade working in disability management for um, various companies, and I was also self-employed during that time, and I also did some voc rehab work. So now I spend the bulk of my time helping organizations to recruit, retain, and better support their midlife and older female staff by becoming more age-friendly. And it's important to say when I say female, I mean everyone who identifies as female. Um, So I'm going to start out by giving you some background and then we will be addressing the questions that are submitted by uh, people joining the chat. I guess I need to start by sort of setting the stage for you about why um, this age group is of interest and why the aging population at work is of interest. Um, so. First of all, I think we need to acknowledge that there's been this sort of slow and steady um, decline in labour market participation over several years. Um, In Canada, the overall labour market participation rate um, as of February of this year was about 65%, just over 65%. And so along with that declining labour market participation, we all know that there's been this great resignation. Um, And the demographics around that great resignation um, have really changed in the last year in that the folks who are leaving in the largest numbers are people between the ages of 40 and 60. Um, And those people who are leaving are usually leaving from jobs that they have been in for 10 years or more and the bulk of those people are in knowledge um, worker industries like finance and tech. Um, And then of course, women have been leaving at a really unprecedented rate. And even a few weeks ago, I would have told you a number um, that would have been alarming, but most recently there's been a survey released by Deloitte um, looking at women in 10 different countries around the world, including Canada. Um, And when surveyed, about 50% of those women indicated that they plan to leave their current employer in the next two years. And only 10% are planning to stay with their current employer for the next five years. So a pretty big shift in women um, leaving the workforce. And sadly, female leaders um, are are really first out the door. They have the highest intent to leave of any group um, within that group of women, and that's from a separate survey done by Qualtrics um, in 27 countries. So this is going on worldwide um, and is a really significant issue. So I know that's a lot of um, bad news, but uh, the piece that's really of interest to me and i think it's a piece that we need to highlight to a lot of employers i don't know if it's on the radar as much but along with this big attrition of employees we also have a really significant um, aging population and so to put that in context for you um, the canadian population now has a larger share of people who are over the age of 55 than those who are um, between the ages of 15 to 24. And why that's significant is those folks at between 15 and 24 are starting their career. As you know, they're coming into the workforce. We now have more people at the other end um, of their careers than are starting out. Um, And if we just look to the one of the last long form census years in Canada was in 2016. Um, And at that time, um, folks who were over the age of 55 accounted for about 36% of our working age population. Now, I need to tell you that that is the highest number on record since we've been collecting records in the early 70s. And in four short years in 2026, that number is projected to be 40% of our working age population will be over the age of 55. Um, And one of the very fastest growing demographics in that group is women. Um, So again, a projection for 2026 is that one third of all new hires will be women over the age of 55. So there's this really significant population aging piece. um, And, you know, along with that attrition, I think it's something that we really need to take notice of. Um, So why midlife when I'm telling you about these age groups? Well, for my interest, um, I'm very interested in the prevention piece in midlife. So this is where we can do a lot of um, good and make a lot of changes in terms of prevention in the aging process is to work with women in midlife, Um, but for so many other reasons as well in the workplace. And we'll talk about that today. before I go on, I need to um address midlife because this is a question that I am asked so often. What does it mean? What do we mean by midlife? Um, and just like older adult, senior, any of the other terms around age, it's it's difficult to give um a standard answer. it It's all over the place in research, but just practically because in Canada our, average lifespan of a woman is about 84 years old, Um, practically we say sort of early 40s to mid to late 50s for midlife. So that age group is an important age group as as a place for prevention, as I mentioned, but also because midlife women are really um, having a tough time right now. Uh, Women are reporting feeling really unsupported, unhappy at work, um, having this kind of lack of well-being, high levels of burnout, having um, higher microaggressions, experiencing higher microaggressions than even compared to last year. There are a lot of things going on. Um, and that well being piece is really important because um, when women talk about why they left their employer, so these aren't the women who are intending to leave, but the ones who have actually left during the pandemic, one of the top reasons for leaving was that lack of focus on well being in the workplace. So, uh, to give you one last piece of, or a couple of last pieces of context before I move on to our questions. I like to think of these women at work um, and women in this midlife group as um, an idea that was coined in the year 2000 by a researcher who talked about women being daily border crossers that we spend our lives crossing the border between work and family territories. Um, And we all know that during the pandemic, this has been something that's been um, really, really um, increased in terms of our responsibilities. Last piece before we move on to the questions, I just want to acknowledge and um, maybe put into place the idea um, before we're talking about these issues that it's not just women, but the intersectionality that occurs um, along with women in the aging process. So women in um, the BIPOC community, folks in the LGBTQ2 community, and folks who have a disability are disproportionately impacted by a lot of the issues that we'll talk about today. So I just want to acknowledge that before we go on. Whew, so that was a lot, <laughs> uh, a lot of information. I hope that gives you a context for our conversation. And what I'm gonna do is just work through some questions, as I mentioned, um, the questions that have been submitted by registrants in advance. And if we have any time at the end, we will take some questions from the chat. Um, so I'm gonna start with Donna and just ask Donna, from your perspective, how do you think well-being has changed since the pandemic began? and what are some of the well-being issues that you're seeing that have shifted for women at work?
1: Thanks Kate and th- thanks. that was a great uh, that was a great background so I appreciate it. Um, I-, I think everyone had a very unique experience during the pandemic, Um, and everybody had a very personal one. And and honestly, we didn't even anticipate what someone's experience was going to be, and I I think that's actually quite interesting. But there are a few themes that I've realized um, in my network, at work, things that we're dealing with, Um, some that won't, I'm sure, surprise people. Um, The first is sort of household routines. the household routines were both disrupted in both negative and positive ways. People became less busy, and and some really seemed to love that, while others were really, really missing those activities. And I'm shocked at how many people became very focused on their pets. <laughs> but really, um, you know, we needed to turn our homes into much more than what they were, home gyms. Um, and And we needed to turn our workplaces into something different, which was at home. And so lots of different things happen in household routines. Um, the other things that happened with food, how we ate changed dramatically. Um, we were eating at home, um, drinking habits changed dramatically, and and for some it was more and for some it was less. Again, it was very, very personal and not always easy to anticipate. Your family dynamics changed, you know, parents were concerned, had concerns with kids, a long-term impact of the virus on children, concerns about education, isolation, mental health. It, for us, we were concerned aging parents, um, concerned about how we were balancing and getting to support family needs. And then lastly, social isolation. I mean, it really has taken a, co- a toll on people. And in particular around mental health, it's something we're seeing at an all time high. And um, people are trying to figure out how to reconnect with themselves, their friends, their family, their community, um, like never before. And so all of this to be said, what I think is particularly interesting for women is, you know, we often play caregiver roles. And, and you mentioned um, that bridge. But, you know, I think historically, as I was growing up in the workplace, we would frown on someone who brought their home life into work. Um, and And in fact, there was this invisible barrier that um, and for those who could keep it separate, we're almost revered. It's like, how do you do that? You know, when I was a younger mom, I would I would wait for the kids to go to bed so that they didn't see me pulled or, you know, torn away from them. And, and I think we had these heroic efforts on how to keep work and home separate. And then the pandemic hit, and all of that sudden, that blurring of work and home became a completely an, an invisible wall. We saw kids running through the background of our Zoom screens, and we created these lunchtime yoga classes we sh- all of a sudden shared recipes and strategies for getting off screen and daily walks whatever it was we saw personal pictures behind people and say oh what was that where were you and so all of a sudden we were allowed yeah. to talk about our home life and so our home became a part of our work and you know you would be able to start a conversation to say you know I had leaders that would say to me I didn't even know they had kids or I didn't know their parents lived with them or i didn't know there was a family of four sharing a, a one bedroom apartment and and all of a sudden that gave you permission to just have that different conversation around well-being and and while balance has always been a part of the conversation and for women in particular you know who have felt that double shift they work the full day in the office and then they work the full night at home that balance was almost you know, in in my history, anyway, it was kind of thrust upon the individual to fix. It was almost the per, your personal problem to fix, whereas the pandemic, it just became, you know, kind of a community problem that everybody was sort of dealing with. Um, and lastly, I read this quote from a, a female senior executive that actually I thought summed up beautifully how I felt leading during the pandemic. And And she sort of described being burnt out so often and just caught in the middle of everyone's emotional response to the pandemic and in between decision makers who had totally polarizing views on how to respond. Like the pandemic created those very, very diverse opinions and, you know, for the first time in this woman's career had to solve challenges and problems at the workplace that had direct impact on people's mental and physical health um and and i thought that was that was quite accurate in terms of well-being um and those those tough decisions that were very very personal
0: mm-hmm. yeah so many big changes it's uh, it's really been pretty significant all around on women's health um, i'm going to ask a question for both of you but i'm going to start this one um with melanie So this is a question that was submitted. Um, So for women in midlife, where we may be perceived as someone with a shorter runway, I'm interested to know what tips and strategies um, there are to help us to continue to progress to more senior positions. Um, At the same time, balancing work and mental wellness. And Melanie, um, you and I had a conversation about this prior to our chat and you talked a little bit about using your platform Um, so maybe you can talk about that as well
2: yeah thank you Um, that was great donna i it's for me i just this is so relevant i just had this conversation on monday with a colleague and we were talking about the differences we see between female and male um senior experience and I've had a conversation over the last, more predominantly in the last three years with women that are 40 and up and, and they're looking at their career and they're thinking, is this the end of the road for me? I've made it to middle management or I've made it to maybe a somewhat of a senior management role. And over the course of my 20 year career, um, I feel that there's nowhere else for me to go. And then when we sit down and talk about, you know, what, what went on in this interview, what happened, And I want to allude to, you know, tips and strategies, because I think that this is a takeaway that we can all sort of benefit from. But men do this really, really well. And I've observed it even working from home, listening to my husband in his conversations. When it comes to self-promotion, it's such a critical part of your advancement in your career. And... The colleague of mine is a senior manager I I was speaking with on Monday, and she shared with me, she said, you know, I was encouraged to apply for the role. I was told I was one of the top candidates, um, you know, but I didn't get it. And when we talked about why we felt she didn't get it, it was that she didn't self-promote. And she made the assumption that the organization knows she's a top performer as a manager. They know she's won an award, but she didn't mention them. And I think that's a critical part for women, especially women that are of 40 and up, because as I parent, as an older mom, I'm way more aware of our daughters encouraging them to self-advocate and self-promote. But when I grew up, and I don't know if either of you will agree, uh, the movement for girl power and embracing you know, female strength, it wasn't really spoken of until more recently. So... For myself, I would say um, for any woman at any age but in particular women that are of that 40 and up range is to get comfortable self-promoting if you want to move into a more senior leadership role because your male peers have no problem doing it
0: yeah yeah do you have any thoughts on that Donna
1: yeah I I, Mel, I totally agree Melanie and I, I think you know there are we all have we all have you know um biases. It, it, and I think there is a bit of a bias that once you hit a particular age or a particular level, um, you're you're kind of, you know, at your at your peak. Um and, and I think first and foremost, I, I think we have to just whether it's self-promotion, we just have to let people know we're interested. Um and, and I think the first thing you need to do is just tell people you're interested in more. Kate, you you mentioned quite a few stats at the beginning. I think people assume that when you hit mid-40s to your 50s, they're assuming you're thinking of leaving, um, and so I think that it's incredibly important just to be clear and transparent and and let people know, and and I also think it's really, really important at that stage to demonstrate that you remain keen to learn and to grow and to take on those new challenges. Um, it's interesting, you know, I so we I work in financial services, I work in a really sort of complex technical environment, and I think we often rely on people at a particular time in their career to be the expert. And that's great. Um, but you can get very pigeonholed as the person who knows the history, knows where all the bodies are buried. And and you can you be careful with that role because it often means you are viewed as the past and not part of the future. And I, I think it's important for women because women are oftentimes, uh, you know, they they practice uh, servitude leadership, and so you often are there to support and to provide and to. And so if you're always like, well, let me give you the history, let me tell you how that got to be that way, why did we make that decision? You're actually seen as the past, and you're not seen as that next step. Um, and I, I think that's, that's super important, and I, and I think it's really important to be sort of brave and transparent. I, you know, you mentioned in the in the intro, Kate, I, I made a change from an organization that was with for over twenty years, one I truly loved. But you, you wouldn't believe the number of questions I got at that at your age. Um, wow, you, you you were a couple of years from retirement um, age, or possibly in that mid fifty range, and and. You know why'd you do that? And and the reality is, I like I love the old organization. I wouldn't have stayed for twenty years, but I I needed to push myself. I was I needed a shot of adrenaline, and um, sometimes you just get a bit on autopilot there, and you're kind of leading by familiarity. And so, yeah, I I think so much of it is is really demonstrating that you see that future and you want to be a part of it.
2: Mm. I was just going to add to what Donna said that it, it, you you hit the nail on the head because I speak with so many younger uh, females starting off their careers and often they'll say, well, I'm not going to apply for this job because I don't meet 100% of the criteria. And I saw Colin, one of the attendees, post uh, a little comment. And it's so true because Harvard Business Review came out with a report and they stated that men will apply for roles, especially executive leadership roles, where they only meet about 50 to 60% of that criteria. And women won't make that leap to an executive leadership role or a more senior advancement unless they meet 100% of that criteria. So as a female, it's important at all ages that we understand our male peers are applying for the same roles that we may be interested in, but yet we don't apply because we think we need to hit 100% of that criteria. And that's not true.
0: Mm. Those are all such great points. Um, And I would just add in that um, when we're talking about this, I really see this connecting to this issue of well-being. Just thinking back to some of those surveys, um, lack of opportunity to advance was right up there for women with lack of work-life balance. Um, So they were identifying that in almost the same numbers in terms of things that were causing them to leave um, and insufficient pay was in there as well. So those three were the top, um, some of the top reasons. Um, So... uh, My next question is for Melanie again, um, and a question submitted, have you ever experienced rejection as a result of being told that you are overqualified or due to a career gap?
2: Yes, and I think I'm reading some of the comments here and some of the women have uh, messaged up top. I can see the comments that they kind of semi-retired during COVID and they're trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves. And that happened to me. i I got married later in life, and I was focused on my career. And I met my husband at thirty five. We started trying to plan for a family. Um by the time we got married at thirty six, we were already ready to have that. and i I discovered that as a result of my age, um the chances of of me uh, conceiving naturally was very, very minimal. So we went through the IVF process uh had several miscarriages along the way, and I was really afraid at that point. I was in a very senior role, and I was one of the only women in the country to be in a senior role. So I hid the fact that I was going through fertility treatments and injecting myself in the bathroom because I didn't want to ruin the opportunity for other women. Um, with that perception of, well, if she's trying to conceive, it's gonna be an inconvenience for the organization. So fast forward, fortunately we finally uh, had our daughter and I had her at 41 and I made a decision in my career at that point after everything we had been through that I wanted to take time off. So I stayed home with her for the first three and a half years. And when I decided I was ready to go back to work, um, at that point I was 44 going on 45. And I went for my first interview and that was the first time I really received rejection and realized the gap in my career and my age and being overqualified was seen uh, as a negative. So during the interview process, you know, I tried to ex- explain why I had a career gap, why you know I put family first and I didn't get the job. So then I went back and I had to write down what's my story and how do I sell myself to the corporation that I'm applying for that next job to let them know Guess what, you're gonna get me for half the salary. I'm going into a mid-level role at this point. I have four years of staying home with my daughter. The chances of me having to take time off for getting sick or her getting sick is very minimal. You're getting executive leadership experience from me and I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna squash the competition because I'm a plug and play. You don't need to train me or coach me. So I turned it around and flipped the script on this company. Fortunately, they hired me, they saw the advantage. And uh, I I ended up being the top performing team in the country, uh, achieved over 150% of target. And it was something that I realized it boiled down to being able to position my strength as a result of taking the time off what I brought to the organization. And as a result of, you know, yes, I'm overqualified, but here's what you get. Like, you're getting me for a deal. You're lucky. You better hurry up and give me an offer. So I think for women that are having a career gap or semi-retire, especially you know older moms, you have to be able to speak to the strengths you bring to the table and the advantages of having a career gap, because most companies don't think of it that way.
0: Mm, yeah, that's great advice. Um, I'm gonna switch gears just slightly, and I'm gonna ask Donna, just about some of the unique um, health and lifestyle challenges that women face as they age.
1: Yeah, Melanie, I love that story so much. And you know what, I just have to reiterate the one point you made before I get into this question, because your your comment about you need to sit down and write your story or else it's written for you. It, it's the age old brand, it's the age old media kind of strategy but you really do have to, and you just have to sit down and write that story. So I I absolutely love that. And uh, <laughs> I love that you position yourself as getting a deal. That's awesome. Um, anyway, I'll get that. So I, I just wanted to comment on that because I saw a bunch of comments in the chat and I think I, most people would agree with me. So um, unique health and lifestyle challenges. Like I think, you know, again, you know, very personal and very individual, but to start with, I think for me anyway once you once you got to a particular age um and a level of confidence and 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 to melanie's point you really do know what you're good at and you do want to kind of start to play to your strengths there's a point in your career in your early part of your career you really got to focus on development and then there's this beautiful place where you kick over and say i am who i am i'm confident i know myself and now i get to choose and then all of a sudden you say to yourself, like, what the heck do I want to do? Like, for me, my kids were getting older. They went off to university and I found myself with time. Like Saturday mornings, I honestly didn't know what to do with myself. If I wasn't packing up for the day for like a tournament or going to the ski hill or whatever, I sort of like thought, what what do I want to do? Because it actually had been a little while. And similarly in my career, I got to that point where I had the, the luxury of choice and you know, if you had said to me five or eight years ago, how did I, you know, progress to my career, how did I get here, I would have
2: experiences and a little bit more
1: selective. And so, you know, when it comes to thinking about your your health, your your lifestyle and your challenges, I think all of a sudden as a woman you have a little choice for the first time, many maybe. And you know, what I think the pandemic also kind of contributed to this work-life balance. I know friends of mine who had come through, um, you know, some fairly significant um, illnesses and and decided that they had some choice and they were going to, you know, be really selective on the choices that they made. And, and earlier in their career, they would have said, you know, jump in, do everything and want to do everything. But now it's just about making those, cha- those choices based on, what fits their for lifestyle, what fits for their health, not wanting to add that extra stress um, as, you know, that fear of relapse for sure. But most importantly, just taking stock of what's important to you both at work, at home. Um, you know, one, one of my friends actually commented about one of the greatest learnings she's having is, you know, how much <laughs> she needs to bring a notebook. Uh, her short-term memory is different than it was four years ago. And just needs to get better at taking notes and, you know, sort of wasn't sure if that's age related, sleep related, you know, whatever it is, who cares? But, you know, there are, you know, the traditional brain fog, hot flashes, you know, waking. Mm-hmm. And I think what's fascinating at this time in our, our lives is that, you know, the impact aging has on self-confidence, you know, you're at a time where women should feel they're most confident you've achieved this much in your career, you you, you know, but the dichotomy of being at the peak of your career, but not perhaps feeling at the peak physically or mentally, I think that plays a bit of a toll. And, you know, all of a sudden women are feeling the need to apologize, um, oh, not, you know, having the energy or the memory or, you know, whatever. And it just, it feels a little bit like a bit of a regression from time to time, to be honest with you.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I would just add on to that, um, especially the comment that Melanie made about um, hiding, doing the IVF treatments. And you think about how many women are at work in this age group who are trying to hide what's going on during the yeah. menopausal transition, right? Is So it's another point in that reproductive um, life that we're trying to cover up what's going on because when we think about this, you know, when you have a hot flash, it's a giant flag to the boardroom that you are aging. And so I think a lot of women are really conscious of that. And just, I guess I want to bring that up, especially if there are employers watching, that this is um, something that women are spending a lot of time covering um, to, to not have that come up in the workplace, and yet, as a result of that menopausal transition, there definitely, you know, there there are those issues around brain fog, around um, fractured sleep, around um, a loss of concentration, um, lowered confidence, anxiety, and depression rates go up. These are all things that are going on in that background. Um, along with that border crossing every day. So on top of all of those responsibilities, women have these, not all, not all women have um, um, issues from the menopausal transition, but the majority do. And, you know, everyone with a uterus will go through menopause. And so with that large group of women um, in that aging population in the workplace, it's really not something that we're talking a lot about in Canada. They're a little bit more ahead in the UK, but um, it's not coming up on the radar quite as much. And I think that one is important to acknowledge. And then just as Donna said, you know, the... the um, illnesses um, and chronic disease that women start experiencing far more often in those menopausal years when our chronic disease risk goes up as high as men's um, for many, many different issues including things like cardiovascular disease. Um, So it's a big topic, um, one we could probably talk all day about. Um, but another question in that same um in that same topic area that we were asked was how do we keep our health habits relative when we have super stressful jobs with long hours? And Donna, I'm gonna ask you again to talk about this question.
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> this is not age-related. I've been trying to sort of crack this particular nut for my whole life. Um but I think I I have been sort of relentless and it's just disciplined and I schedule it. I, I schedule a lot of things. You know, as a leader, I schedule, um, I schedule recognition, right? I schedule, you know, reminding myself to do particular things and try to find that time in my calendar. And I schedule and, and I'll let my admin assistant know that I have a class at five o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I I get to those classes or whatever it might be. And I think, you know. That is just an absolute necessity, and I I think you know one of the one of my friends sort of you know sort of said to me you know during the pandemic just has had to really start it, she lives alone um, she's in her late forties lives alone and um, was finding just working all the time because what else are you going to do and had to put a stop to that and try to create those those boundaries and I think it, for those of you who have stressful jobs and and more senior roles it's incumbent upon you to take that time. I think it clears your head and you become a much better leader. Uh, I coach leaders all the time on this. If you don't, you're in the weeds and you're working in the business all the time and you just can't bring yourself up to sort of see through the, you know, the forest for the trees. That walk at lunch, if you're working from home, is absolute paramount, rain or shine, you got to put on your boots and get outside even for half an hour to just get a breath of fresh air, take a break from the screen. More importantly, allow your mind to just percolate on what happened in the morning, what's coming up in the afternoon. You are way, way better in those big stressful roles um, if you take that time. And so I, like I said, I schedule it. I am quite protective of it. I, um, I book time, like walking meetings, so that I kind of force it at least once a week with somebody, even a catch-up meeting if it's just a mentor meeting, um, and then that forces me to kind of get some of those, you know, those steps in, those activities in, and most importantly, to clear your head um, from the day-to-day.
0: Yeah, and I would just add on to that quickly. Um, One of the reasons that I'm really interested um, in this midlife group, other than the reasons that I've mentioned, uh, I was lucky enough to work on a research project, a multi-year project um, with women in midlife, and we were looking at um, trying to improve activity levels in that group of women um, as a means of chronic disease prevention. And what we did is we looked at integrating um, healthy lifestyle throughout the day. So in other words, matching your habits. So the question around health habits was really intriguing to me because this is what we use. So just as an example, you know, if you um, were getting up to get tea a few times a day that you do a couple of squats when you're waiting for the kettle to boil. And this is what we did in um, in that research, is we had women match habits that they were already doing throughout the day. And the idea was that when we tell people we have to get to the gym at the end of the day or something like that, that's another thing in that super busy schedule with all of those multiple role demands that it makes it really difficult. So when I'm working with folks, I really try to concentrate on that integration throughout the day. So I love that idea, Donna, of, you know, getting your boots on and getting out for that walk, um, you know, matched at lunchtime with that habit. So, the next question um, that was posed to us was I'd like to hear the panelists' perspective on career ambitions over 40. So, it's a bit similar to one of the questions asked earlier, but how do you remain relevant in the face of ageism um, and any considerations for mothers of young, uh, older mothers of young children? And I'll just say very quickly um, that. Ageism is a really, really prevalent problem, um, not only at work, but just in society. And you might be surprised to know that only about 8% of DEI programs address ageism in their policies. Um, And on top of that, gendered ageism is even more significant, of course, for women. And that's that overlay of um, gender on ageism, where women feel the 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 way that they look, the indication that they they look older is really hampering their abilities in work and in life. So, um, I'm just couching it with that, and maybe uh, Melanie, you can um, start by talking about that a little bit for us.
2: Yeah, it's it's so funny. If there's anyone on here that is an older parent. Uh, particularly women. I it, I look back at having my daughter at 41, and then I, I went from having a baby nursing to menopause in, in warp speed. And then I had to reinvent myself, as I was saying, to get the job I was looking for. But fast forward today where I'm at right now at TD, and I'm 50, I'm really comfortable with sharing my age. And I think it took me a while to get there because that fear was always there that if I'm applying for a role and they know I'm 50, I'm probably not going to get it. And what I will say is I was recently promoted to the role I'm in now at TD back in November. And I had many women reach out to me and say, oh, way to go, Melanie. I'm so excited to see a woman in our age group receive a promotion in the organization. And whether it's true or not, the perception is out there that we're we're seeing far more younger women get those roles. And so I want to talk a little bit about the promotion opportunity and how do you make yourself relevant and how do you put yourself out there? And this is going to sound, uh, you know, some people might not agree at first, but if you hear me out, the best thing you can do right now, if you have the capacity is actually to take on different responsibilities outside of your day-to-day job. And what I mean by that, and the reason why it's important is we all know the science is already there, that when we volunteer, we get involved in community work, we get involved in committee work at our, our company or Uh, we join a social justice group. Uh, The feeling and the endorphins that we get as a result of committing to those type of things is really good for our well-being. However, from a career perspective, if you're sitting behind your desk and you're 45 or 55, and you're wondering, am I ever going to get a promotion? And you're not putting yourself out there, the opportunities within your organization, you're not being seen or heard for the skill sets and the strengths you have. So for myself, I sit on two committees and the one that's really passionate for me uh, is representing neurodiversity uh, at TD as myself, I'm a woman that was recently diagnosed with ADHD. So I have decided that that is something at my age in my role that I'm gonna take on that responsibility and advocate for other women so that first of all, I can teach how we can work together better and be relevant. So when you're in these committees and you're sharing your ideas, you're working with executive leadership and you're working with the next generation that have just joined your company and being future leaders. So for myself, I would suggest that if you're not involved in your organization and you do have the capacity to join a committee, this gives you so much exposure Mm -hmm. and and you network with so many people in your organization. And I just wanna touch on the empty nest syndrome. So women that are in their fifties and sixties, probably are experiencing university, you know, students are moving out. We have two, we have a 20 year old that's going to university. um, And so we kind of mourned her moving out, but we still have a nine year old at home that keeps us actively involved and busy. And so I think it's, you know, for myself as an older mom, there are times where I feel an incredible amount of guilt because I have pretty bad insomnia as a result of menopause. And there's days where I physically don't have the energy to play soccer with our daughter. And so I think for my own advice is I have learned to get comfortable with saying I can't do that right now or I need a break or I need a rest. And even at work, um, I, I've learned to be able to say no to commitments that I that I don't want to overcommit. And when I was younger, I was like a yes woman. I said yes to everything. And it took me a while to get comfortable doing that. And I, you know, I, I see my husband have no problem saying no to commitments. And I'm thinking, like, I need to start doing that. So that would be my advice uh, when you're looking at, you know, your own career and your well-being at work. Um, I don't know if, Donna, if you want to add anything.
1: No, I just, oh. I'm i still stuck on breastfeeding and menopause in work time <laughs> speed. So, <laughs> yeah, um, but. No, I mean, I, I think I said it earlier. I think I think one of the things that I think is incredibly important, I, I love your committee idea. I, I do do uh, quite a bit on on the charitable side, too. I would have been a yes woman in my early part of my career. Now I'm a little bit more just selective on things that I really feel passionately about and I can make a difference on. And gosh, that does not all make everybody, like, make it easier on, on yourselves. But uh, I would just be very mindful of ensuring you're part of the future as opposed to representing the past. That is actually such a big thing for anyone, men, women, anybody that is a little bit older and has in particular, if you've been with an organization for a little longer, it's really hard to give that up. And sometimes you get a lot of self-actualization about being the expert, you're the go-to person but you have got to pivot yourself to become part of that future. So whether it's becoming part of the DE&I committee or in my old role, I chaired um, the mental health at work, um, which was fantastic. It's just becoming a part of whatever it is that the future is going and um, trying to kind of shed a little bit of that past by still being there as that expert, but, but not having that define you. And I, I think
0: that's super important, really, really more important than I would have realized a few years ago. Mm. Yeah, all of those, again, are such great tips. Um, So the next question is around using a focus on a well-being um, for midlife and older women strategy, pardon me, as part of a recruitment strategy. Um, Any thoughts about that, Melanie?
2: So this is, this is something that I, it took me a long time to get used to it. And maybe I benefited from having an older daughter as well. But um, she said, you know, you need to get on social media because, and this is even pre-COVID, she said, because nobody, you know, uses anything anymore to promote an idea or a strategy or a business if you're not on LinkedIn, for example, and people trust people, yeah. And if you're respected and seen as a thought leader within your organization and outside of your organization, you are going to do a great job in attracting talent, specifically female talent, because we see right now that women are leaving organizations at a rapid rate. And so internally and externally, there's, I mean, I i, I feel from my generation, I have an obligation uh, to use my voice and it took me a while to get comfortable. I post things on LinkedIn all the time, but I need to be seen as a brand ambassador. I believe that if I work at an organization that I'm proud to work there, then I certainly should not be afraid to talk about it externally and internally. So, you know, it, if it takes time to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but I will post things, I'll share successes, I'll share ideas, I'll recognize other women who've inspired me both within my organization, or externally, and it's important you want to follow your social, your company's social media guidelines. But to be relevant, and you're, let's say you're over forty, if you're not utilizing your social media, you're not relevant. You're out of sight, you're out of mind. Not just for your own organization, but externally. So if you're looking at your career and you're not putting yourself out there, you know you're missing opportunities. And I think you know we look at men, and they have no problem tooting their horn. They have no problem on social media we look at women and they, you know, shy away from doing that. And you have to muster up the courage to put yourself out there. Cause if you're not, then again, you're out of sight.
0: Mm. Great tips. And Donna, any thoughts about that?
2: Um, you know, my
1: previous role, um, I, I led the benefits business for Canada and globally. And so I kind of lean into the, sort of thinking from an HR perspective and benefits when I answer this question. And so what I think is important is just flexibility. I think we've got five, maybe six generations in the in the workforce these days and with a tremendous amount of diversity and, and all the good companies are trying to add to that diversity, it only makes you a stronger company, it makes you a stronger leadership team, you know, to have different voices. So then you say to yourself, well, what do you need to do to attract them? Well, you need to have some flexibility, time, to me at my age is different than my time need when I was 35 and my kids were in that drop-off pickup time. And so I think that making sure you kind of talk to your employees and really build those um, programs, those benefit programs, those time programs, flexible work, what is hybrid to you is different than what is hybrid to a, a young person. And creating some flexibility in there as best we can. I know all companies have to sort of create their models and their standards and stuff like that. But I just think there's so much opportunity to be able to develop um, flexibility in work and how we work nowadays and to address some of the challenges that that people want to address. Um, You know, one of my good friends was talking about a few folks that are at this stage and, you know, a lot of people are retiring or planning to retire before they're 60 like it's it's all your stats kate that you mentioned but but really at the end of the day they're often taking part-time jobs they're they're you know i was chatting with a woman uh just last week she's on five different paid boards she's 60 she ret- retired from one of the major banks uh i don't know a handful of years ago and i said oh my gosh, five boards, you're basically working full time. And she said, well, I mean, not compared to what my corporate job was, but I still want to work. So then I think to myself, did she really want to leave that big corporate job or did she just want to work 35 hours a week instead of 72 hours a week? And how can we incorporate things like that strategies? You know, how can you incorporate, I'd like to have two, three months off in the winter you know, and have a kind of ease into retirement. I, I just think we miss so many opportunities and lose so many great people who have this institutional knowledge because we have rigid norms around work, time off here, there, the number of, you know, hours that you blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I, I think that each company, when you're recruiting, when you're thinking about women at that age, um, I, I think it's a, it's about trying to sort of match a workplace, um. To, to their needs and and, man, I, I can guarantee you we you'll get so much more out of that employee than the, than you know what you feel like you're giving up because you've got some sort of flexibility. So mm-hmm. that that's the way I would sort of approach recruiting,
0: yeah. And I would just add on to that in that kind of value proposition for um trying to recruit this group of women. That word flexibility is so important, but other words around, you know, flexible workload itself, family and caregiver friendly, um, uh, commitment to mental health, um, thinking about um, does that flexibility in the workplace work for women? Um, really interestingly, again, when you go back to that Deloitte survey women were finding that the um, current flexible workplaces were not working as well because um, they had fears around that ability to advance in their careers if they were asking for flexibility based on what was going on in their life. So I think that's another piece is just really acknowledging um, when women are asking for flexibility that they're not gonna be penalized for having flexibility in their work time. And then that that caregiving piece, I just, I always have to come back to this. And I think many people would be surprised to know that there are four times as many people out of work right now caring for spouses, grandchildren, siblings, as there are um, people out of the workplace caring for their children. So there's more caregiving going on of, um, family members, than parents out of the workplace, four times as much. And in that, two thirds of informal caregivers, and when I say informal, I mean unpaid caregivers in Canada are women. So this caregiving burden is really disproportionately impacting women and a lot of midlife and older women because a lot of those women are caring for aging parents. So I think that piece is really important. Um, caregiving is the second largest factor, keeping people out of work behind early retirement. It's so significant. That needs to be in um, in that strategy. It's
1: um, very, Kate, what you said is very interesting, and I think there's also just, I, I think I made the comment earlier of having just this open, transparent conversation and as an employer being open to hear this because everybody understands the needs of young parents. You've drop off and you have pickup and you can kind of articulate that in the summertime. You're rushing from camps and we all we all know that. And then there's there seems to be a time where you cross over and everyone says, Phew, they can take vacation anytime. We don't have to balance around school schedules and you just kind of forget that there's this other component or you don't really ask, hey, what, what are you balancing? Mm-hmm. What are you trying to balance? Like, how can I help you balance more? And, and oh, I, well, yes, I have an aging parent and every uh, Tuesday I take them to the, I, I need to take them uh, to a particular appointment and the appointment's usually at two o'clock. Okay, well, that's great. Well, why don't you finish work at 1.30 on Tuesdays and we'll make up the, the hours another time or start early or whatever. I don't know. It all depends on your job. But just having that conversation and being, you know, open and transparent with your employees to really just... Just you know, kind of manage that. You would have easily done that if someone said, "I want to volunteer at my child's school for kindergarten." It was like, great take Tuesday mornings. That's great. And so, I just I think that it's just an an encouragement to be open uh, and and talk about what's happening.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And so we just have a few minutes left here. I just want to make a couple of really quick points, um, and then maybe we can have a look at the chat. Um, I would like to kind of wrap up the conversation that we've had by maybe encouraging people to rethink this idea of well-being in the way that my field, health promotion, um, one of our models that we use, we think about well-being starting at that bigger societal level. So things like ageism, gendered ageism, and then work your way in. So from... Um, that bigger, you know, those bigger societal issues to an organizational level. So again, do we have this flexibility for remote work? Um, and then at an interpersonal level, do we have leader support? Um, do we have, um, you know, committees that have a gender balance when we're trying to promote women in the workplace? And then again, just from that intrapersonal standpoint, that a lot of women, as I mentioned at the very beginning, as we all know, especially any of the women on the call, um, are dealing with a lot right now and are exhausted at this point um, in the pandemic. So just thinking about those comprehensive well-being programs that should no longer really be considered a perk, that they should be a part of the strategy and the way that we would have, you know, pension plans that we're making sure that we're taking care of our employees with these comprehensive programs um, from the get-go that are are just part of being at work. I'm just looking to the chat, just if there are any questions, just as we wrap up here.
2: I see Anna has a great one. And I think that like, for me, this resonates um, as a person with with an ADHD mind, um, Anna wrote that it's important employers recognize that senior women can be multifaceted and have other interests outside of the job, and that actually was seen as a negative from her um, senior leadership team being involved on an alumni board. And one of the things, and it goes back to earlier, being able to tell your story and articulate it well is something that I started to master when I got into my forties, um, but. I use my own personal ADHD as the advantage of explaining to my peers, my team, people who report to me, senior leadership, that I have the capacity and ability to take on multiple projects because that's the way my brain works. And I have a highly creative brain. So I could be, in particular, juggling 30 things and I thrive. So it would be to the company's disadvantage to not have me be very busy and productive. So I think in that situation with Anna's situation, it's unfortunate because she ended up leaving the organization because she wasn't seen for her talents or or, uh, the value she brings. As women, again, it goes back to using our voice and not being afraid to say, here's what I'm really skilled at and capable of and I want you to support me in this process. And you do have to involve your senior leadership team so that they can understand how to help you be successful as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap up there. We're at noon, um, noon Pacific at least. And uh, thank you so much, Melanie and Donna. This was just amazing having you as part of the panel. Um, And again, if anybody has any questions or would like to discuss any of the content, feel free to reach out. We will be sending out a recording and um, I will be putting that up on a webpage with a reference to some of the research that I talked about today. So you can go and have a look at that yourself. So thank you again. Thank
1: you everyone. Thanks Kate, thanks everyone. Thanks Melanie.
0: Thanks for listening to the Age Sister Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app. We'll also be posting the show notes and any other important information at www.CardeaHealthConsulting.com.